Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So we have some solid imperatives, some instructions that Paul has given us through these letters on how we should live and on on, on the things you know, what the kind of things are that we should be doing. But now in chapter 3 in Philippians, he, he wants to shift focus a little bit from what we should be doing to how, by what power, we're able to do it. He's showing us that there is another trap that we can fall into. If we've walked away from unrighteousness on one hand, we can so often step over into the trap of self-righteousness on the other hand. We can become so good that we end up becoming bad. We could be, end up becoming so self-important and proud of ourselves because we no longer do the things that we used to do that we judge others for sinning differently to the way that we sin. We judge them from our position of strength. The things we don't struggle with, we judge them on. The things we do struggle with, we have more grace for. We're judging from a position of strength. And, and Paul begins to say that as you're living like Jesus and loving others and emptying yourself and living as a servant, watch out and make sure that you don't start becoming a little bit too proud of yourself. That you don't become to you know, feel good about yourself. Because on the one hand, you would be living incorrectly if you were living just for yourself. But on the other hand, you're also wrong if you're living for others in a way to feel good about yourself. It's just narcissism in another dress, right? This is why people love to give to charities. This is why people love, it's like they're appeasing their conscience. It's like, are you a good person? Have you lived a good life? Well, I gave to charity. It's kind of just something that we do in order to make ourselves feel good. And when we do that, we often just become self-righteous. And self-righteousness is the same, if not worse, than unrighteousness. Because Jesus said, if the light that is in them is darkness, how great is that darkness? How great is the deception that when we feel like we're really, really good, we're actually really, really bad. Don't become so good that you become get bad. So how do we guard against this? Paul actually takes it head on here in chapter three, and it's what I wanna look at today. He takes it head on after using two chapters to explain how we should live. He comes to chapter 3, and he starts chapter 3 by saying, finally. Now, this is how you know that Paul was a Pentecostal preacher, because there's four chapters in Philippians. And so he says, finally, when he's only halfway. That's how you know. He says, I told you what you should be doing, and now let me show you how. Let's read these verses together. If you go to Philippians with me this morning, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can look over at a Christian who do, does have one. Open up your Bibles, Philippians 3, verse 1 to 3. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. I'm going to say this to you again and again and again. It's, I don't mind saying it again, and it's, it's safe for you to hear these things. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory and glory in Christ Jesus 
and put no confidence in the flesh. Vote of no confidence. We put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is at the end of his life now. So you know how when people kind of get to the end of their lives and they just, they just don't mince their words anymore. They just say it as it is. Like they don't have time to waste. I'm just going to tell you how it is. He says, I'm going to write this to you again. Rejoice. It's safe for me to say this. Look out for the dogs. Look out for those who would ask you to mutilate your flesh through the circumcision, trying to observe some religious rules. Look out for those that are telling you that the only way that you can be right with God is by punishing yourself in some way. They're dogs. They're thieves. They don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Paul's not trying to be politically correct here. He says, those that come along and teach Christians that their righteousness is dependent on their keeping of the Old Testament laws, including circumcision, which for those of you that might be new to church, you're like, why are we talking about circumcision in church? This was a sign that Abraham was instructed by God to, to bear and to have all the men of Israel bear as a sign that they had been made righteous. And Romans clears this up. He wasn't made righteous. Abraham wasn't made righteous because he was circumcised. He was circumcised as a sign that he had been made righteous. What does it represent? What does it symbolize? It symbolizes the cutting away of the flesh. And the flesh was a symbol of the sinful part of humanity. Our sin nature was taken away through our covenant with God, through faith that was credited to us as righteousness. Does that make sense to everybody? So now people are coming and saying, no, 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 in order to be righteous, even though you're a Christian, even though you're a believer, you still have to observe these laws in order to be made right with God. And it angers Paul to the point that he no longer minces his words. He says, the people who say this to you are dogs mutilating the flesh. Now, I grew up in the 80s. Anybody here grew up kind of like in the 80s, early 90s? Some of you, if it was 70s, just put your hands down, put your hands down. We don't need to know. But, but okay, the 70s and 80s, if you were young during those days, we used to, I remember when we moved into our house uh, where we stayed uh, in our suburb, we, our house had no walls, just had trees, just big trees. There was no walls. Can you imagine that in Joburg these days? No walls. But we lived, and then my dad built walls eventually, but I was still allowed as a kid to go with my friends in the afternoons on a skateboard in the streets. We were never home. We would walk to the pizza store, we'd buy pizzas, we'd eat pizzas, then we'd like, uh, I lived in a road called Sunnyway, and Sunnyway kind of had like a very sharp hill. One road over had an even more st uh, steeper hill, and we would start at the top, and half of us would make it alive down to the bottom. We're just like kids and skateboards in the 80s, it was so much fun. But one of the worst feelings that you got, kind of like a sinking feeling, if you're walking in the streets, maybe to your friend's house or riding your, your bicycle or on a skateboard, and you notice that one of the gates are standing open. Any 80s kids remember this? The fear of the dogs. The dogs that are going to come out and bite you while you're riding your bike, right? I remember being so nervous because at that age, also, you're, you're about the, the height of a dog. So I'm going to bite you on the legs. I'm going to bite you in the face. So you're worried about these dogs. I remember being petrified every time I saw an open gate. What if the dogs come out? And so Paul is writing to the church in Philippians, and he says, uh, in Philippi, and he says to them, I want you to know 
that you must watch out for the dogs. Because what happened is if, you were, if I was traveling along on a certain journey to a certain destination, maybe my friend's house most likely, and a dog comes out, all of a sudden I abandon the journey, it's derailed, and I'm running in whatever direction I feel is safest. And this is actually exactly what Paul is saying to the church. In fact, he, he goes as far in Galatians to verbalize this. In Galatians 5, 6 to 8, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It really doesn't matter whether or not you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether or not you've, you're part of some you know, religious group or not, whether you're following these laws or not, but only faith working through love. It's faith in God working through love. We're imitators of God as we love, just as Christ loved us. He says this, you were running so well on the street to your friend's house. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Wow. If you feel like you have to start doing a bunch of things in order to be right with God, you're not hearing from God. You're, in fact, I preached a message one time, I remember, called How to Disobey God. You know how? He says, well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Why? Because all of a sudden I started to believe that all the little religious things I did were the things that were making me right with God. You're actually disobeying the gospel because when you believe, that's when you're accredited with righteousness. That's it. You know, you, there's no greater way for you to honor God and glorify God than to believe that what he said about you is true. So when God says you're righteous... You are the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus. And you say, no, God, I don't think I deserve that. I think I still need to work for it a little bit. You are not honoring God. You're disobeying him. Because if you believed in him, you would believe him when he tells you you're righteous. Don't think that you're honoring God by discounting your own righteousness in him. I've seen so many Christians derailed, honestly, Oh, I have pet peeves, and sometimes because I have the microphone, I get to talk about them, right? I'm going to talk about two of them today. But the first one is Christians who visit Israel. Now, visiting Israel is amazing. We love Israel, great country, great nation, but you come back weird. You come back weird, we're going to send you back, we're going to send you back, and you can go live there. So you're, obviously, you want to be a Jew more than a Christian, so just go live there. If you read the Bible... There's natural Israel, but there's spiritual Israel. And it says that those who have faith are Abraham's seed. The true Israel are those who have faith like Abraham had and therefore are in Christ. I was sitting with Phil Smithhurst. I mentioned him earlier today, but I was sitting with Phil Smithhurst this past week and uh, he was talking to me about this. And he said he was once sitting with, with a Jewish rabbi in Israel. And he said to him, man, you guys are so close. You understand the Torah, you understand the Old Testament, you understand the Messianic prophecies, you understand all that stuff. And, 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 and then Jesus came and he fulfilled these things like, why don't you believe that Jesus was the Messiah? You know what this man said? Nobody's ever asked me that. And then he said this, why would I become a Christian when all the Christians come here to Israel and they want to be me? They think I know something they don't. They treat me, this is actual words, they treat me like a God. Why would I be a Christian? According to all of you Christians, I'm the true holy one. 
And that's sometimes we fall in love with the law, with the Old Testament, with the rituals. I've seen Christians come back. I saw one guy come back. I was in a prayer meeting with him, and he had recently been to Israel. He came back with a prayer shawl. Now he can only pray with a prayer shawl. And then the pastor, I heard the pastor say to him, now you keep this away from any evil. I'm like, well, then don't put it on me. You know, throw it in the bin. Don't put it near yourself. You know, come on, what are we talking about? And, and literally we develop these systems in these practices and these things because sometimes we find it easier than just believing that what Jesus did for us was complete. Don't go to Israel and be weird. Amen, church? You can go to Israel, just don't come back weird. People get derailed by the law, by those who preach the law. And Paul says, this isn't God. A few verses earlier in Galatians 5, 2, he says it like this. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, in other words, if you believe that your law keeping was going to make you right with God, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're going to go that route? Then save yourself. Keep the law. Why would you need to keep the law? Well, you've severed yourself from Christ. You've cut yourself up from, off from Christ because you now put your faith in you and what you can do and your own law keeping and your own religious efforts as opposed to in Jesus. So you are cut off from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you who have fallen away from grace. And people often use the term fallen from grace, and they, they, they mean it, they, they say that you've had some moral uh, uh, fall or collapse. But it's really when you've gone back to being moral in your own strength. You might be more moral than ever, but you're severed from Christ. You see, this is all or nothing. Following Jesus really is all of nothing. It's not half your effort and half God's ability. You know, God helps those who can't help themselves, who help themselves, you know, or, you know, all those, all those little things that we say, like the gospel is just God filling the gaps that we can't do. No, it's you dead and Jesus everything. It's all or nothing. And we've got to understand that. On the subject of dogs, we live in a world where people treat their dogs like humans. Now, if you are one of those people, this is my second rant, by the way. <laughs> if you're one of those people who love, it's good to love your dogs. The Bible in Proverbs actually says the godly are kind to animals. So be kind to animals. But we've gone a little bit beyond that, haven't we? Let's all be honest, church, family moment. Have we not gone a little bit beyond that? I was sitting in a meeting with Chantel this week in a coffee shop, public coffee shop. And somebody had an Alsatian puppy there. Not really a puppy, it was quite big already. Off the leash, in the middle of the floor, where people could trip over the dog, whatever. We're having a meeting, and the dog comes and sniffs us for about 20 minutes. And there's this unspoken law, in effect, in our world right now, that at no point ever, in any circumstance, are you allowed to not be friendly to a dog. It's almost like you don't have the freedom to tell a dog to go away anymore. It's like, what kind of a human would tell this dog to go away, you know? It's like the unpardonable sin. People are taking their dogs on planes. Stop it. Stop it. 
In the old days, the good old days, we would see a baby. We would see a baby go on the plane and we would be like, oh, please don't sit next to me. We literally, my wife and I took a flight the other day and there was a person carrying their dog. And I was like, please, Lord, don't let it be on our flight. And it was on our flight. (laughs) Who wants to sit next to a dog on a plane? Leave your dog at home. I'll give you some biblical backing for this. Revelation 22. (laughs) Revelation 22, 14 to 15. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside, outside are the dogs, right? Things were still like made sense in the Bible times. The dogs are where? Outside, right? But it's interesting, Jesus calls those who would ask you to mutilate your flesh in order to be right with Christ, he calls them dogs. Because he's indicating that they're outside. They're not in the faith. They are severed from Christ. They are outside of a relationship with God. They take great pride in their law keeping and their religious endeavors and their circumcision. But actually, they're on the outside. Why? Because they have put their confidence in the flesh. They think that their confidence in their own abilities is what makes them right with God. And Jesus says it's quite the opposite. They're on the outside. This indicates that we don't need the circumcision. Paul says that we don't need the circumcision or a removal of the flesh. Because he says something quite quite powerful here. He says, because we are the circumcision. You see, the removal of your flesh is not just something that you have done on, that you do on the outside. Like you think if I, if I go to church and if I, if I give to the church and if I you know, feed the poor and if I do a few religious things, remember to say my prayers before bed, whatever. If I do all of those things, I'm going to be right, made right with God. It's all externals. No, Paul says you've actually be, you're not just trying to be righteous. You've become righteous. It's actually your identity. It's who you are. You're not, you don't need to be circumcised because you are circumcision. You are the removal of the flesh. You are completely made new in Christ. So why would you need to put that on display on the outside as some way, some misguided way of being made right with God? It's a powerful statement. We are the circumcision. No longer trusting in the flesh or in our own strength. We've put no confidence in the flesh. So let's go, let's go back to um, that definition. If we can just put that definition up there again, a vote of no confidence. What Paul is saying is that for those who are in Christ, we put no confidence in the flesh. All of us have tried serving God in our own strength. All of us have done our best to be faithful in our own strength. But when the flesh is in charge, we all inevitably fail. So if we look at that definition again, in trying to be good enough for God, what have we learned? We've learned, first of all, that we are not fit. The flesh is not fit to lead. It is inadequate in regards to its responsibility. It has failed to carry out the obligations. 
We have all made decisions that are detrimental, deemed to be detrimental. So we have passed a vote, and the results are in. We put no confidence in the flesh. Amen? Do not trust yourself. Trust Jesus. Yes, trust what Jesus can do through you, but don't trust in your own ability outside of Jesus. And you might be saying in your heart this morning, I know that other people shouldn't do that, but I'm really kind of good, right? Like I don't struggle with a lot of stuff. Like I don't have big issues in my life. It's probably somebody that's single. Because when you get married, you realize how selfish you really are. I tell people, get married, you'll just find out how much of a sinner you are and how much you need Jesus. But some of you might be thinking, I can handle it. I just need a little bit of Jesus for the little moments when I fail. The rest of the time, I can handle it. Paul speaks directly to that again. Philippians 3, verse 4 to 7. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So just so you guys know, I have more, more reason to be confident in my flesh than any of you could have. First of all, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain or whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I no longer, I have reason to find confidence. I am a Pharisee. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised. I've got all those things, but they mean nothing to me any longer because I found something greater. Jesus. Righteousness as a gift. He goes on in verse eight and he says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having, key, key verse here, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I don't want a righteousness that comes of my own. I want the righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus. And so all the confidence I ever had in my own abilities, in my own goodness, in my own efforts, I count them as rubbish. They mean nothing to me so that I may know Jesus. So we vote the flesh out so that another leader can take its place. And that leader is Christ himself. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, where we lay down our own efforts, we say, God, save me and sanctify me. Change me, transform me. How many of you here want to be better? This past two weeks, just reading the letters of Paul, I'm like, I genuinely want to be better in so many small areas of my life. And it would be a mistake of me to try and focus and fixate on my own flaws and trying to overcome them. Instead, I fix my eyes on Jesus and I say, Lord, help me. I'll press into you more. I'll trust in you more. I'll take opportunities that you give me to love others more, but help me, Jesus, I need you. And you know, God is faithful. That's how change comes to the believer. And so Paul says, in all your imitating of Jesus, 
make sure you rely on grace. In verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, and this is for all of you here today that feel discouraged, that feel like God can't use you, that feel like you're never gonna get there. He says, forgetting what lies behind and all the mistakes I've made, and straining in Christ, uh, sorry, and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Let those who are mature think this way. If you're mature in Jesus, think this way. Don't dwell in regret. Don't dwell in your shortcomings. Don't be fixated on your own sins and, and failures. Because at this, what are you doing? You're, where's your focus? It's on you. If you're mature, lay it behind. Leave it here in this building this morning. We'll, we'll sweep it out for you after the service. Leave it here. Forget what lies behind and press forward to the goal. Press forward to becoming like Jesus. He says, if any of you if any, and if in anything you think otherwise, if there's any area of life where you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I am often told and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why do they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ? Because they keep telling people, there's one more thing you have to do to be right with God. I'm here to tell you this morning, I do not want to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. So I'm going to tell you this plainly. And you can never again say that you have not heard this. You do not need one more thing to be right with God. You've only ever needed one thing, and that's Jesus. If your faith is in him today, his grace has been applied and you have become, it's who you are, the righteousness of God because of your faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's who you are. We have all that we need in Jesus. And if you don't believe that yet, God will reveal it. He'll show you. If you disagree with me today, then by all means, try being righteous in your own strength. We'll talk again next week. You'll see, there's only one way. Galatians 5, 13 to 14, he says, For you were called to freedom, freedom from the law. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It comes back to that point. We're not motivated by the law. We're motivated and compelled by the love of Jesus. That's what compels us. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we come to this place of trusting in our righteousness in Jesus and just knowing that we're loved and loving others in the same way that Jesus loved us, guess what you'll be doing? You'll be fulfilling the law. Because if you love someone, you're not gonna steal from them. If you love somebody, you're not gonna be envious of them. 
If you love somebody truly, you're not going to want to harm them in any way. So you're fulfilling the law without looking at the law. It's the spirit of the law through love. So the Bible says that we are no longer slaves to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, from now on. Everybody say, from now on. This very minute, it's 10.32. On Sunday morning, the, what is the day today? 2nd of October. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Hey, no one includes you. Do not consider yourself according to the flesh any longer. We have no confidence in the flesh, but all the confidence that we need in Jesus. Amen? A vote of no confidence in the flesh and wholeheartedly trusting in our Savior. That's what we do. That's what Paul is encouraging us to do in Philippians 3. Won't you join me this morning as we stand and pray together?